Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the show. Happy Tuesday for those that are here with me live. For those that are joining in any day, thanks so much for being here. If you're coming for the first time, welcome. If you've been here before, thanks for coming back. We've been going into a world that I think is a little bit scary for some. I know it's scary for me. It's the world of being a giver. It's really the combination of the stuff that we did earlier, especially when it comes down to, if you remember the earlier days, like two months ago, zeal and discipline and honor. If you really take those stronger and you take those traits and try to apply them, it comes down to this world of being a giver, which is where we are right now. This is the foundation of our lives. This is the pillars that we rest our lives on. Our ability to give, our ability to tap into our inner power that only comes out through the process of giving. Right? If you, if you, if you go to a faucet and you turn it on and nothing comes out, there's a problem in, with, with some of the pipes. The sign of health with our indoor plumbing is its ability to give. And when the faucet gives the water from the spout, what it does is it, you know, it, it stimulates the reservoirs of water to give it more. So when you put on the hot water, and the I think this is how it works. <laughs> For those who are familiar with this, and I'm wrong, I'm sorry. I think this is how it works. If you if you put on the hot water and the faucet gives you hot water, all of a sudden, in another part of your house, the boiler gets stimulated, and the boiler starts firing up its fires, and the boiler sends up into the pipes new hot water that gets put all the way through and then out the spout. That's how we work. That's how our lives work. When we want to tap into the true essence of who we are, the way we get there is by giving what we have. And the more we're able to give in, in the appropriate way, if you turn on the spout and hot water comes gushing out, you're gonna burn somebody. The ability to know how to give appropriately for the benefit of the receiver only benefits the, benefits the giver because it stimulates that which is lower down and it, 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 it puts the fire on and it brings out the divine energy in us, which allows more to come out. And if you've ever done this before, you know this because you, you, you share something or you, or you give something. And then when you keep on doing that consistently, what you find is you're now giving at a level that's much higher. You're sharing at a level that's much higher. You're becoming something much, much deeper. We sort of know this if we're paying attention. But life can have us not pay attention. Now, 
where the exchange of the other person's appreciation or giving and, and when it's their turn starts to come in is that it starts to, in a way, doubt. It, it creates a doubt in our, in our giving capacity. Am I giving too much? Was it wrong to give? Am I becoming a rag? And so really what we're trying to get to is understanding the depths of this. And to do so, in my opinion, we have to first be fully committed to the concept that what I really want to be in my life is a giver. If what I really want in my life is an exchange, then that's fine. It's just not, a, it's not being a giver. Like if what I really want in my life is people to honor me, then I got to figure out how to do that. Now, this is happening like at a million miles an hour in our brains. I'm not saying like we're sitting going, hmm, how do I get honored? I have an idea. Let me walk up to somebody and say how great they are because then they'll say how great I am and then I'll feel good about myself. No one's doing that. This is neuroplasticity. This is schema stuff. This is subconscious stuff. This is just us navigating in this world stuff. But if we're not even aware of it, we don't know what's happening. You know, like if you've ever dieted before, anyone's ever here been in the world of dieting and fitness? If you ever trained for a long distance run? Right, and you're running, and it's like you know, ec- you know, ten miles in, and your brain's going, "Oh, hello, we're gonna die." Like, wh- what are we doing? Like, is it- this isn't cute anymore. Like, nobody's around. You're running in the middle of nowhere, right? Like, are you crazy? Like, we're gonna die. If you put one more foot in front of the next, you ever have that sense? Like, did you ever anyone ever do this before? Like, I can't do it. My body's gonna collapse. I got to give up. Anyone have that feeling where you're working out or you're running or you're doing anything or you're you're trying to be careful in between meals and your body's used to like consuming everything in the world and now like it's between meals and your body's like, we're going to starve to death. Like I'm just letting you know right now, if you don't feed me with a thing in front of you that's filled with carbs, like if you don't feed me with that, we're just going to, we're going to starve. So like, you know, if you want to survive, you really should be able to order two bagels with ex- with, with a lot of cream cheese. Put put a pep put put some onions on it to make you feel to make stuff feel better. And if you've ever done anything, your your brain after a while, and you and you've seen this before, by the way. And and if those in any area, you're raising a kid, you're like, I can barely, I can't, I can't go without this much sleep. You're working at a job and going, I can't stay up. I did this when I started working in Davis Polk. For those of you who, for the corporate lawyers or bankers or accountants, whoever's working in one of these big sweatshops. You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't know how it is now because now I think that they're a little more, from what I understand, like now they're more um, benevolent to the, to the young people, like the doctors that have been around and doing rounds like, you know, 15 years ago and they, they did like three straight days of rounds. I don't think they do that anymore. But when I was started in Davis Polk, I remember like, you know, what it was like to be at work like at 10 o'clock with like four more hours left. And like, no one's like, you're doing great like looking at me like welcome what and all you had was you whatever you ordered on like whatever online food service they had and like just an infinite amount of coffee in the beginning you're like i'm gonna i'm I'm never gonna make through it i'm never gonna make it and then you start realizing like wait I, i can do this but here's the shift and this is the shift that has to happen for us here's the shift at some point, 
in the diet, in the parenting, in the teaching, in the working, in the fitness, whatever the thing is where you're up against normal boundaries. At some point along the way, you start to realize that your signals may not be totally right. At some point you realize that, wait, wait, I don't think when my body says we're going to die, we're actually going to die. It's called hitting the wall. And when I hit the wall, I probably have at least two miles left in me. I don't think I'm going to lose concentration after 10 o'clock. I don't think I'm going to just collapse if I get less sleep than I'm used to. Now, that's step one. However, what I want to push us to is really step two, which is at some point you start to change who you are by saying, hey, I'd rather be that person than give up and be the other person. I'd rather be the runner and be in pain from mile X to X than stop and be the guy that I was a year ago. I'd rather pass on that food that's in front of me and be healthy. Oh, I'm starving. And there's nothing for me to eat because apparently nobody knows how to cook without oil in this house, but I'll be okay. I'll miss a meal. But the feeling that I get by being healthy is so much greater than being full and being unhealthy. I'd much rather be partner in this firm and work as hard as I can. I'd much rather be a, a Navy SEAL and just totally kill myself because the feeling that I get when I'm a SEAL is just so much greater than the feeling that I get when I'm not. The first step of change is this pushback where you look at it and go, I'm still me, but I just, I'm not going to listen. The second step is, no, I'm not me anymore. I've upgraded me to include this part of my life. Now I do this. And when you hold that strong enough, at some point, it feels off going back. You know what I'm talking about? I'll I'll go back to dieting for a second because I just know that world. But it applies in so many other areas. Pick your area. Your work, your family, your life, your spirituality. Some people grow spiritually. They're like, I can never do that. And they start doing it. They're like, well, not really me, but like maybe I should do this, this thing. And they start doing enough. And then at some point they go, I never want to go back. That's who I am. And at some point you eat healthy long enough where you sit at a table and people are downing donuts and you go, I don't even want one of those. They're like what? You love these donuts and they're healthy. Look, there's jelly. The jelly is made from real natural grapes. And you're going, yeah, no, no, nah, I don't want that. And not because like I have to fight it anymore, but because I naturally am, a, I'm in a different place in my life. I'm in a different place in my life. This happens a lot of times as, as people mature. Maybe they, they change their status, whatever they mature in life. And some of their friends don't mature as fast. I don't know if anyone's had these experiences. And they go, hey, man, let's go do this. Or, you know, you'll see sometimes like, you know, a group of people sitting around a table at a restaurant acting like the way they acted when they were 17. And they're like, you know, 
mid forties. And there's like one person and one couple that's like, what are we doing here? Like, why are they so loud? Like you're 45. You don't gotta be loud at a restaurant and make a scene because you ordered like alcohol for someone's birthday. Like for real, like, like you don't gotta be like, you don't have to make a scene because like it's, it's the girl's night out. Like you can have an enormously fun time and the whole wrestler doesn't have to look at you guys like, are you guys okay? And there's always one person like, what are we doing here? I'm not saying anything wrong with those people. Everyone can have fun and have a good time and everyone should have the ability to express themselves. And you know, But you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And it's okay if you do it. And it's okay if it happens once in a while, but there's a consistent pattern of some people going, I don't want to like, I don't want to be like that. It's not, they're not judging. And there's nothing wrong with it for that person. Really? God bless everybody. But for the person who's experiencing it, that's reaching at a point on their own, they're thinking, I don't, I, it's, not who I, it's not who I am anymore. Very hard when that happens with friends. It's very hard when it happens in general. In order for us to get down this road, in order for us to get into this new way, we have to recognize the two blocks to being a real giver. The first is it's hard. It's hard to be a giver because it's, it's counter survival. I'm built to take. I was born taking. When I was a little kid, I just took from my parents. Even when I was in my, young, in my adolescence, I'm taking from my parents and then mad at them if they're not giving me more. To, to transform that and to become a giver that's super hard. That's changing what I eat. That's changing how I act. That's changing the stuff that I'm used to. That's breaking the boundaries that feel comfortable to me. I'm used to waking up in the morning and seeing how it works for me. I have to wake up in the morning and see how it works for somebody else. I'm used to going into the life and having exchanges all day. And in those exchanges, asking myself, how does it work for me? I'm going to change my perspective. And the exchange is going to be how I can give to you. I'm going to like look over to you, my friend, spouse, parents, kid, whatever, and ask myself in every scenario, like, what's good for you? Who's going to take care of me? If I'm worried about you, who's worried about me? We're going to die. They're going to kill us. The world's going to step all over me. I'm going to wake up on the street with nothing to eat. And, no, and all I've been doing is giving. This isn't going to work. Yeah, that's stage one. Stage one is the recognition that what really we're up against is the fear of not knowing what life looks like as being the next level giver, wherever level giver you are. But stage two, and this is what I want to make sure we both hit today. Stage two is something even a little bit different. Stage two really is, I want this. I want this. I want to be this person. I want to run this marathon. I want to be a Navy SEAL or Navy ZEAL. 
I want to be the person for my friends that may not necessarily always be the loudest, but is the one that people turn to when they need something. I want to be super fun and I want to have a good time. I want to be more spiritual. I, I want this. There are people that I look up to that are that look like this. I know I've got a lot to give in this world. And if I can figure out the right flow of giving, I know that's going to be the greatest life I live. And I know that at some point I'm going to go. And I want when I'm done, when I'm done with this life. I want people to say about me that he or she changed my life, even if it's just the people around me. Not because they were the most brilliant or the most charismatic, but because something about them, there's something about them. You know, in the Long Island community, lost a great leader. In the, in the shul is an area called West Hempstead with the rabbi named Rabbi Kalmar. Was a tremendous, tremendous leader of a person. He just passed away. The West Hempstead community is, and the larger community and the Jewish community is reeling from the loss. So you hear a big rabbi passes away. What do you think? Righteous, disciplined, scholarly, wise, right? It's a loss. Okay. So of course, because God runs the world and he loves me, he loves all of us. He always throws me like little nuggets. So last time I'm sitting in, in, in synagogue, we had just finished praying the evening service. A friend of mine right next to me who's been sitting next to me for a decade. We're walking out and he goes, big loss. I said, yeah, I heard the rabbi passed away. He goes, no. So in my head, I'm thinking, why are you upset for? He's a great man, a great scholar. He goes, you got to hear about this rabbi. I said, I know, I heard he goes, no, you have no idea. I'm waiting for the whole rabbi stuff. This is what he tells me. He grew up in that community. He said when he was eight years old, he had his tonsils, tonsils taken out. And he's sitting in the hospital, petrified. Petrified. And his parents are trying to calm him down. But like, you know, something about kids and parents, they don't listen so much. Well, the rabbi, after doing all of his duties as a rabbi, would go to the hospitals and walk the floors to just encourage people. It wasn't part of his contract. He didn't get paid extra for it. He found that the, one of his congregants was in the hospital. He goes to his room. And this eight-year-old boy sees the rabbi walk in. Can you imagine? Not just a rabbi. The rabbi, right? You know, when you have like anyone live in a community with like the rabbi. That was this man. And the rabbi goes, you're going to be great. Don't worry about it. And he can feel himself like totally changing. Like the rabbi, the rabbi coming to me, he's eight. Rabbi says to him, let me ask you a question. Like think about when Zoldan, what's the one food you'd want to eat? So the kid says, my friend, who's a kid at the time says, chocolate eclairs. I love chocolate eclairs. He goes, ah, you're going to have chocolate eclairs one day. Think about that. So he goes into the surgery, he comes out, he's okay. He's sitting at home and he's recuperating. It's a week later, an hour before Shabbat. The doorbell rings. His mom answers and goes, Rabbi, everything okay? He goes, yeah. 
because it's an hour before Shabbat. Like, you, what's going on? Like, the whole world's like, you know, running and doing, and you're like the rabbi of the shul. I'm sure you're getting people come to you and questions and going, and you got to go to shul and prepare. So he goes, is your son home? It's my son. Goes, yeah. My little boy, my friend, eight-year-old boy comes over. He goes, hi, rabbi. And he picks up a box, a box of chocolate egg clairs. And he goes, this is for you. Can you imagine? Hundreds and hundreds of people in his congregation. He was getting questions on matters of law from the entire world. He's not too busy for an eight-year-old. He got nothing in return. He just gave because it's who he was. You think he lost out because he gave too much? I don't think so. I don't think so. His family, his friends, his community are they're different people because of his existence, not because he was so brilliant, and he was. It's because what he what he was was a giver. And givers never really lose. Got to know how, got to know when. We'll get there. We're getting there. We're getting there. We can't get there until we decide that this is where we want to go. We can't decide what not to do until we commit to what we want to be. All right, we'll continue. May his family have true comfort. And may we take a lesson from him and so many others. Some of, So many of your, your clergy, your rabbis, your parents and grandparents, so many people in our lives. All right, we'll continue this. Have an incredible day with God's help. I can't wait to see you again tomorrow.